Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Crownsman Show. I'm your host, Jared Downey. Joining me today is Gowdy Molina. Good morning. Good I love m- how you say joining me today. It's pretty much every day. <laughs> what do you mean? We only do two shows a week. I know, but I'm always here. <laughs> um, on the show today, we are featuring Vega. Um, Vega is a German-based company, and we're going to be featuring Mark McDowell. He is the managing director for Vega Instruments Canada. But we're going to be talking a little bit about their factory, about their products. They're in the um, they provide measurement services and sensors across multiple industries. So we're going to focus. There's going to be a little bit of mining talk, um, but we're going to touch on some of the other industries as well. So it's going to be a fun show today. But first, Gowdy, who are our sponsors? Fabulous. Okay. <clears throat> So first up, we have Savanaugh Equipment. Savanaugh Equipment supplies new and used mining equipment around the world, from placer to underground to ore processing plants. They have gold concentrating tables, trommels, and mineral jigs in stock now to take advantage of the high gold prices. You can visit them at SavanaughEquipment.com, where you will find more equipment every day. Next up, we have PowerZone Equipment. When you need a specialized team of world-class engineers for your oil and gas pipelines, dewatering, or any fluid handling needs, you want to visit PowerZone.com. In addition to their inventory of rebuilt pumps, motors, engines, they also have an amazing team to design and engineer your systems, no matter the challenge, no matter the location. Get in the zone with PowerZone. Visit them at PowerZone.com. Also mentioning, um, please contact us if you would like to be part of the show as a guest or have someone you'd like to refer to be a guest, whether it's the Crownsman Show um, or Crownsman Energy, the mi- uh, Mining Now, please contact us, info at crownsman.com. You can also visit our website, crownsman.com. Fabulous. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much Today. Today. <laughs> Mark, welcome to the show. It's, it's good to have you on. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Darren. Um, I guess where I should probably start is with clarifying my wonderful intro of who Vega is. So I think I probably should let you uh, say who they are. They're, they're essentially a sensor manufacturer, but serving across multiple industries. Is that, am, am I close? Yeah, it's you're quite close. We we tend to specialize in level and pressure instrumentation. And if there's an industry out there, there's a great chance that there's a Vega sensor in it somewhere. So everything from uh, municipal to mining, oil and gas, food and beverage, uh, pharmaceutical. It's uh, it's pretty all encompassing. You said that if you if you've been to one of these sites, you've probably seen the sensors. Um, but there's there's been a bit of a shift uh, in the in the distribution of Vega products. Is that right? So a lot of times people don't know, don't realize that they're actually looking at a Vega product. Sure. Yeah. You you know, quite often you'll walk through a plant and you'll see those bright yellow uh, instruments and those are ours, but how you come to procure those in the past has been through an exclusive rep uh, distributorship that we've had in Canada. We still maintain those relationships with those distributors, but we are also have a direct presence in Canada. And the goal of that was really just to allow our customer to choose the buying experience that they wanted to have. So if you've got a great relationship with your existing distributor and things are great there, that's awesome. We'll continue to support you and the instrument that you have and the distributor. Uh, if you're a person that likes to deal with the factory direct, then we're here for that as well. And uh, we, we don't mind. Uh, it's really the customer that drives that decision. So was that specific to Canada or was that, was that, did that distribution model change on a global scale? Cause I think you're in, I mean, 80 countries or, or something like that. So 
Um, what, was that a global shift? Um, it, it was a shift primarily in the Americas. So uh, okay. in Canada, USA, Mexico, and South America, the, the rest of the globe has tended to be more of a direct type model, but they maintain relationships with distributors and things as well. Um, I want to I want to kind of take a step back from the, we didn't get into the technology in that, but um, I mean I'm always looking for the next vacation spot, and I, I think I found one where <laughs> where their factory is located. It's just an absolutely beautiful area. So can you take us into that uh, sort of a, a tour, if you will, of where where Vega is actually producing their products? Um, and just a little bit of that, the background of where they are, because it is an absolutely beautiful area. Sure. It's a really unique company. We're, our headquarters globally is in Schiltok, Germany. Uh, we have a production center there as well. And Schiltok's not really a very large place. So the Grieshaber family, which uh, owns Vega, we're still privately held and, and family owned, has a really strong presence in the community. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, they're the major employer there. And it's not uncommon to see fathers, daughters, sons, all working uh, together at, uh, at Vega. In the Americas, our production facility is in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we've been able to recreate a similar culture and atmosphere there. Uh, we are in the process of moving to a larger uh, facility in, in uh, Cincinnati, just outside of Cincinnati, and that's gonna triple our production capabilities. Um, everything is really, really local. We don't outsource our parts. We control our entire supply chain. So. Uh, these aren't just assembly places. Uh, Germany prints our own circuit boards and things like that. So it's a really interesting factory. If you ever get a chance to get over to Germany, Jared, we'll be sure to set you up with a tour. Oh, I'm planning on it. Yeah, no, it's, just, <laughs> it's not if, it's just when. Um, and But it is, it is interesting. And then you work more on the sales side of it. So you're that sort of that front uh, facing side of the company. Um, is there... I mean, what kind of company is it to, to i mean there's they're not the only sensor technology out there but yet their i mean their presence is just massive and their their chain is huge and, and their customer base and all these things what um from your perspective what is giving them that edge is it is it the technology or or is there something sort of more in the secret sauce I, certainly the technology is important. It's, it, it's a must have. I mean, you can't meet your customer's need if, you're, if your technology is not evolving. We have a great R&D department that sort of takes care of that side of it. But for, for us here in Canada, being customer facing, it's about being responsive. It's about being knowledgeable. Uh, it's about really making sure that our, our customer is taken care of and, and walk through a difficult measurement application every step of the way. Um, the uh, on the, on the technology side of things, you know, when, when you only specialize in level and pressure, you, you need to be really, really good at it. So a lot of our competitors have a full basket of goods they are into flow measurement and Coriolis meters, et cetera, et cetera. But hundred percent of our R and D and hundred percent of our knowledge is focused on, on the level and pressure market. So we're able to do things technically that others can't being privately held and having a longer term approach to our business cycles allows us to really focus on the customer, focus on the end user and, and make the right decisions for those relationships. For you working for a private, a large private company that's based in Germany, what is that, what is that relationship like being the managing director of Canada? Obviously there's an expectations and how is sort of that, what sort of, um, I, I guess, pressure would it be 
to have, especially when there's that pivot from a from a distributor model to now you're selling direct. I mean, that's a that's a major shift um, for to, to sort of go into new markets, but you're still supporting your distributors. Um, is there is it is it quite interactive with the you know with the top or or sort of what sort of pressure do you face you know on a day to day basis? There surprisingly little pressure in, in their traditional sense. Um, the Germany and and Cincinnati tends to take a, an autonomous approach and allow the local sales channels, uh, subsidiaries like Vega Canada to operate in their markets. So it's with that understanding that they're Canadian, they live in Canada, they best understand that market. So really the, there's just a lot of support that kind of comes from my board from Germany. There's a lot of support that comes from uh, our factory in Cincinnati. And you're, you're absolutely right. Managing this transition uh, from going to an exclusive representative model to being direct with distributors, it is quite challenging. And I think, you know, absolutely, we've, we've stubbed our toe on it a couple of times, but uh, we really maintain an idea of just being transparent, open and honest and having the difficult conversations when, when they need to be had. And while it's not always pleasant, we find that it's very efficient and just having plain, simple, honest talk with each other, we've been able to, uh, you know, address our customer needs, but also, you know, work uh, well with our existing distributor channel. It's uh, there's something, yeah, there's something unique about the company. It's it's one of those things that you kind of go in and and you start doing the research. It just I, where you know I looked up where that was in the Black Forest. I think is this uh, essentially giant forest that's around the area where they are, and that's just this beautiful. I mean, I was reading some things online. It's it's almost like this magical place to some people, and they go there to like. Um, it got into areas I didn't really understand actually, but but it was just very interesting. And I just, and then speaking to you and your team, and it's almost like there's that that it's it is a large company, but there's still this sense of you can almost sense the small community that it comes from, and it's quite unique actually. It really really is. Um, but now going up onto the big scale, um, let's talk about your top, your top industries, because you are a major player in the sensor technology in, you know, mining, oil and gas. Um, I mean, pharmaceutical, it, it goes on and on. So where, where is sort of the top, let, let's start with Canada, actually, where would the top industries be for Vega? So tr traditionally in the past, it's been oil and gas, and it's, been, you know, by quite a, quite a margin, quite a long shot. Uh, we're, we're seeing quite a, quite a step up in our uh, water and wastewater okay. uh, markets in Ontario. So uh, they would be, you know, it'd be oil and gas followed by water and wastewater and probably a little bit neck and neck with uh, mining and pulp and paper. So those are, you know, generally the large extractive type industries here in Canada are, are our big industries, our big customers. So when you're selling direct to something like like uh, wastewater, I would assume that there'd be that be, there'd be a certain element of, um, you know, townships and communities and it'd be that sort of thing. Right. So are you how what is that even that process because there's there's companies putting together you know these entire plants so in that sense it would be the company coming to you if they're if they're doing municipal work or things like that then the whoever's designing and building that plant then they're the contact there for something like that is that would that be the setup yeah it, you know being I, i'm from out west myself and don't have a lot of experience in the municipal world so it's oh. primarily oil and gas but hey it's this last year and a half has been a tremendous learning curve getting into municipal. I had no idea 
the amount of effort and time that it took to get registered with these municipalities under what mm -hmm. they call law, lobbyist rules and, and getting on their approved vendors list. So we've been, been successful there. So to answer your question, it, it has to happen on a number of levels, uh, you know, kind of all at the same time. You have to be working with the municipality so that they know who you are and that you are on their, their spec sheet. Um, ideally, you have uh, somebody there that likes the technology, has been familiar with the technology, becomes a champion of that. But at the same time, those go those uh, projects go out to bid uh, with the larger contractors and uh, consultants and integrators, and so we have to have relationships with with all of those. And in the year since we've been directing Canada in the, in the Greater Toronto area, we've built some really great relationships with the municipalities and and some key integrators as well. So your your background is primarily in the oil and gas side, though that that's it, sort of where you specialize. It is yes. What where can you paint a little bit of a picture of where the sensors are going in? And I know that's a broad question. You can pick just a few because <laughs> we don't have that <laughs> kind of time. But sure. where, where would, the, what are some standout areas that you're, you're generally going into um, for the oil and gas? Can you sort of paint a picture of where the sensors set up in those systems? Sure. We have a, we have a sector of products, uh, radiometric or, or nuclear based measurement. And, that one's been really key for us in Alberta. And we've been able to uh, do density measurements on, on tailings lines and uh, also look for phase separation and treaters. And uh, the other thing that we have is on the level side is a radiometric that uh, again, at really high, high temperatures or like things like reactors and things like that, uh, we can do a measurement uh, that's external to the vessel. So there's no contact with the process. So. In Alberta, typically, we're quite well known for the, the radiometric, and you'll find those on uh, treaters and separators and uh, those types of things. When you shift over, I, I want to get into a moment. I want to get into some of the technology, um, but sort of to, to lead up to that, what I, I saw on the website, pharmaceutical is, is one of the streams, and uh, of course, that caught my eye, considering it is sure. 2021, we're doing the interview. Um, yeah. So is there is do the sensors shift when you get into that sort of that pharmaceutical streams or is it just a, is it just a different way of facilitating does it change from industry to industry or is the sensor the sensor and then how they use it varies. Yeah, the, the technology is essentially the same so the measurement challenges across all the industries and level are, are, are quite similar you've got frothing you've got agitation you've got small vessels so the, you know whether it's oiling you know an oil and gas facility in northern Alberta or a pharma facility here in the GTA. Uh, very different processes, but from the physics standpoint, trying to make that measurement is very similar. What we, uh, what we wind up seeing is the uh, difference in certifications or what they require. So obviously in, in the pharma industry, you know, polished steel and, and having all your hygienic uh, certifications is, is very important. And in the oil and gas industry, of course, it needs to be robust and rugged. So the technology is uh, the same across the board, but the features and options on each of the instruments are kind of tailored to be fit for purpose for that industry. Right. Going into the technology, is it um, how much does it does it evolve? Like even going right down to the the size of the sensor, the shape of them, and you know they're you know what does it has it over twenty years has it drastically changed? Over five years has it drastically changed? What do, you, what do you see? What, of course, you're getting the product. You're not there on the R&D side and the manufacturing and everything like that. But, but what do you see from even a technical standpoint of how they evolve? Um, 
really the the evolution is just trying to it's continually trying to take something that's complex and make it more simple so in the beginning radars were very uh, power hungry very large very expensive uh, vega managers we were the first to come out with the two wire uh, free space radar so that was a big development uh, quite some time ago more recently the introduction of uh, 80 gigahertz the operating frequency of the free space radar is something that uh, i would say has been the next the, the next step change in the technology. I think prior to that was sort of a little additional features and benefits that were programmed into the instrument, but the, that 80 gigahertz was a real step change and has enabled these instruments to almost be plug and play because of the, uh, the robustness of the signal that we're able to get. I saw, uh, I saw a video, you have these, uh, Vega has these neat videos there. They're in German, but then they do the English over, over top of it, um, which more companies should do that. If you're watching this show, get, get your videos translated so people in other languages can take in the information. It's, it's, uh, it's such a simple thing because they did these really nice videos and then they just have the English over top. So I actually knew what was going on. Um, and these, um, and there was a lot of this, uh, like dirt buildup and, and things like that, which is obviously a major issue, especially when you get into mining and oil and gas, um, maybe mining more so than anything, um, wastewater, that would be a major factor. So could you explain a little bit about how they were, how they are, they're countering that or how the technology isn't affected by, by, you know, I mean, everything's down to cobwebs, um, on <laughs> some of the older sensors can affect it. Sure, you know, if, if you think about taking a level measurement and you have an instrument that's emitting a, a microwave and it's a transfer of energy out that's looking for a change in dielectric that reflects some of that energy back. So we know it's going out at the, the speed of light. Divide that by half, that's your distance from the horn and you infer the, the, uh, the level from that. Mm. Anything that can interrupt that signal going out and back is gonna have an effect on your measurement. So like you said, things is, like cobwebs or dirt or buildup. So what the uh, 80 gigahertz has allowed us to do is we have a, a much larger return signal to work with than we'd had in the past. So yes, we're still seeing that, that buildup where we are seeing those obstructions, but we've got more signal to work with so we can accurately lock on the actual level and, and stay with it instead of losing it in the noise. Um, we have a, also another feature that's kind of going on in the instrument at the same time, because the years of history and experience that we have all goes into that instrument. So how the instrument deals with the signal is the people behind it. Because you know, we've, when you go in and you set up an instrument and you select all the options, it's not just for fun. You're actually changing how the instrument thinks or how the instrument processes the signal. So for instance, buildup. It's not, you know, mistakenly people sometimes think, well, it's 80 gigahertz. You're just shooting through that material that's built up you're not you're seeing it there you now have enough energy to get through it and back wow. which lets you get a signal but the the instrument now is smart enough to know that hey this thing is sitting right on my face it's not moving it's not doing anything that is not level that's build up so it doesn't process it as a level signal it right. keeps going out and looking for the level and we call that a sensitivity time constant that we use um and so i i want to jump I find that quite interesting. I probably can't come up with more technical questions than, than I just asked. <laughs> so I'm gonna move uh, on. That, that, that's good because you've exhausted my ability right there. So. <laughs> um, but I do want to stand, I, I do want to have a little bit understanding of radiometrics. Um, sure. And 
it's kind of a, a fascinating thing that, that you sort of expose me to in the sense that that different countries have different regulations on it. They have different concerns about it. Some some have it sort of figured out, so it's much easier. And I, I just wanted to walk it through it because uh, it was a whole side of things of the sensor technology that I just I hadn't even wasn't just just wasn't on my radar. So can you just talk about the radiometric technology a little bit, and then how sort of those regulations work within from country to country? Sure. Uh, you know, so radiometric for us in Canada, actually, uh, within the, the, the global sphere of Vega, uh, Northern Alberta is one of the largest concentrations of Vega radiometric instruments in, in the globe for Vega. So it's a, it's a really important measurement in heavy industry. Um, here, in, here in Canada and North America, we tend to uh, be more accepting of a radiometric or nuclear source on site. We these are hard measurements and, and over time people have come to accept that really radiometrics the only way to get those measurements. When we uh, go, go to market in other countries though, uh, they often are uh, quite apprehensive. I was gonna use the word fearful, but I think apprehensive is a better word about uh, radiometric activity. So they, they quite often try to strive to make the measurement with the smallest source size possible, uh, which, which is fine, but you, you can run into a situation there where you don't quite get the measurement resolution that you need. So uh, here, in, here in Alberta, especially when we're dealing with tailings and you know, guys really wanna monitor that change in density, you don't wanna miss that and plug up your pipe and it, it back feeds into how they're treating all the tailings as well. So the, there's energy savings there. They really wanna be able to detect the smallest change in density possible in the fastest manner possible to prevent those uh, pluggings of the pipe. So to do that, we, we need to use a bit larger source size. It gives us more what we call counts per second. And if you think of counts per second, it's a little bit like a radio dial. If you have three stations on your radio dial and none of those small little marks between it, your resolution there is three points. Anything that falls in between it is missed. When you get to uh, you know a better radio that has all the small little gradations between the, the, the uh, bigger channels, you can get into that finer resolution. So if you think of that as like a density, again, instead of having those big jumps between the density measurements you can get to getting the smallest little change as possible, that's what uh, having knowledge about the, uh, about the source and about the radiometric and having a lot of applications engineers on staff, we're able to really kind of dial that measurement in on, on those types of applications. You know, I know you're saying that casually about the radio. I never understood what that whole dial system was. All those, all those little marks on there. When I was a kid, I'd look and I'd go, I wonder what that is. is. That like, no, it can't be time. I remember being a little kid and looking at my dad's old radio and trying to figure out what that was all about. I could have just asked. He probably knew. Um, um, so what you end up with then is in, in a country, um, let's say a country that's more, and apprehensive is probably a perfect word, that a country that's more apprehensive as opposed to, let's say you're in Canada, Alberta, where they have a good understanding of it. And it's, you know, it's very clear what they're, what they're able to do with it. You could be measuring the exact same thing in another country that's a little more apprehensive. And you're not actually, you're going to have to sort of make those sacrifices depending on what they're what they're comfortable with essentially, and you'll actually lose, you'll actually lose some of your, your accuracy in, in, in essence, not because of the technology, but because of the requirements. Is that kind of right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's, um, you know, it's, you can't just have a straight up accuracy statement with a radiometric measurement because 
what we're doing is we're analyzing these counts per second. So in a lot of plants, you'll see this doesn't, the, the radiometric doesn't even fall under the instrumentation shop. It falls under the analytical guys. And uh, with any analysis, the larger sample size you have, the better accuracy that you get. And for us, that sample size is counts per second. Hmm. So when you see an ac accuracy statement in radiometric, you really want to be looking at with what confidence. So are you within one standard deviation? Or are you within two standard deviations? So when we look at these, quite often our customers want us to be uh, within two standard deviations, uh, so 95% certainty. Uh, conversely, can you make the measurement with the smaller source size? Absolutely, but now you're introducing a measurement uncertainty in there and you're only doing it with a confidence of about 67%. The, the one thing that I'm wondering though, when you're, when you're saying that, are you, when you're, when you're outlining that, is it someone like me that happens to have a job at a, at a regulating body or I'm, or is it, or is it someone who understands the technology and that you can actually sort of go back and forth and find the right spot with them? Or is it someone that goes, this piece of paper says I can only do this. And so that's what you have to work with. Like, what is that? Or is it different for everything? Uh, yeah. Pretty much every scenario you just uh, described, we encounter. Okay. Uh, but you know, I think uh, you know definitely uh, different plant sites have their own rules and regulations surrounding you know what what sources and uh, source activity they're allowing on site. But I think probably the biggest hurdle that we see is when people hear radiometric or or, or nuclear, they assume that all the technologies are the same. Mm. So. You know, our, our competitors, they definitely have a radiometric offering as well. And while it's true, the measurement principle is the same. The approach to how it's gathered or, and the mechanics behind it and the philosophy behind it, or the methodology rather behind it, are, are quite different from, from competitor to competitor to us. And quite frankly, you know, there's uh, some configurations of our competitors that work in applications that just aren't really very good for us. But mm. it's, uh, you know, again, getting back to us managing those relationships, we're quite frank with our customer when we encounter these these types of applications that we're just not the best fit for. So it's, um, yeah, it's, I would, it'd be so, it'd be so interesting to understand. I want to just go, just jump back to something. Um, that, the, the company for you in your professional career, um, have you ever worked for a company like you said they're they're making they're making all the tools they're they're manufacturing they're putting everything together and it's a private company and they're distributing out now they're selling direct for you when you're going into a marketplace and you're doing that pivot from a distributor model to a direct and things like that 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 must play a major role have you ever had that experience where you sort of have that much um, I mean for lack of a better word just confidence in a product um, to be able to go into a market and you know you know exactly how they're putting this together. And, and just to add to that, um, I'm, I'm one of these people when I buy something, I start researching it. And you find out where it's getting sourced from and put together and you're just like, oh, this is, this is, the, same, this is the same junk that's over there. It's just put in a different box. Yeah. And, and once you know that, you can't unsee it. Um, and Vega is very much not that scenario. So it, it must give you an, have you had, first off, going back to my first question, have you had that experience where you have a company that has that sort of, I guess, grounding in their actual product before? 
No, actually, I, I haven't. And uh, it, it presented a real hurdle for me when I first came on with VEGA about eight years ago. Uh, my background is I'm a journeyman instrument technician and, and uh, I kind of worked up, worked my way through that. And when I came on board at VEGA, I'd obviously worked for some of our competitors. And, you know, we were led to believe that oh, those, those measurements on low dielectric oil and gas, you, you can't make those with, with a free space radar. So I, I brought that baggage with me to, to Vega and was a little bit maybe uh, I'll say cocky about it and said, mm. yeah, you guys can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. And uh, after about a year or so, we, I started seeing the measurements that we were actually able to make with a free space radar and not having to use a guided wave radar or a cable. And uh, it quickly became a convert. So we have a lot of confidence in our Pulse 64, 80, 80 gigahertz instrument that, uh, you can put it in some really harsh conditions and still get a good measurement. So that, again, it's just that, like you said, uh, controlling your entire supply chain, the, the research and development and, and being singularly focused on, on a particular measurement, just uh, the amount of knowledge that you're able to accumulate quickly mm. and integrate into the instrument and just really become experts in that one particular field. It, it's phenomenal what our R&D folks and what our technicians can do with these instruments. How much of that is coming from from the front line? So, in your case, uh, are you are you is there a is there an expectation to send a lot of information back as you're as you're navigating into these different situations and different scenarios? Absolutely, all the time. It's constant, and, and a really you know kind of a big source of that knowledge for us is a, is our service technicians globally. So you know as they encounter new and novel type of applications that are difficult and, and not easy to do that information gets relayed back to our R&D folks back to our factory and you know they they have a look at it and go aha we can if we do this you know we have a solution for that so that's ongoing it's constant it's uh you know we're always developing and and looking for the the next you know the, the next advancement or the next way to make those measurements easier or simpler or more robust. Do you, um, when, when going, when doing that shift, um, is it, I, I just want to talk a little bit of the logistics about it. Um, you know, we're sort of in the tail end of this interview, so it's a little bit more open-ended and I just, there are, there are going to be other people that are completely different sectors and, and they're, you know, they're through a distribution model or they're thinking of switching into a distribution model and, I mean, and I mean, on the ground, not, you know, not even from the, the main company's perspective, but just from yours, what, what kind of shift is that with, you know, you, now you're getting sales staff that are going direct, now you're going to events and it, it, it must be actually a real big shift, especially for a company that's not small there. You've got to, you got to shift the whole thing over and the whole focus. And what was that actually like doing that? Because that only happened recently. So you came on through the, at the distribution level. Now, within the last few years, you're switching to this. So what has that been like, just even from a professional standpoint? Um, it, it's been interesting. Uh, you know, I would say the, the largest challenge, and, and I think something that Vega does very well as a company, is maintaining the trust and respecting the trust of our partners. So, mm. you know, we, we had a distribution channel in place prior to us becoming direct. Um, it was... You know, there was an education period that kind of we went through and sat down with our distributors and, and were upfront about the direction that we were taking and, and kind of laying that out. But we also had to take the time to listen to their concerns and, and uh, 
you know, rightfully so, it's their business and their livelihoods and, and we're a big part of that. So, you know, it was really a series of consultations and, and back and forth to where we had an understanding of each other. And, uh, you know, they became accepting of that, hey, Vega is actually going to be here in Canada working direct. But we also realized there's certain things that we can do that provide a lot of benefits to them as well, such as, you know, brand awareness and, you know, helping out with marketing and, and being more accessible and turning quotes around faster. So, so far we've been able to do it without any, uh, you know, major blowouts and uh, we've maintained great relationships. But uh, key to that, I think, has just been speaking simply and honestly and, and being transparent. And uh, when we do encounter challenges, we sit down with our, our distributors and in some cases, even our end users. And we try to sort out, you know, which channel is the best for that customer. So really, I, I liken it a little bit like a, an iPhone in a sense, in that, you know, Mac or Apple doesn't tell you what buying experience you have to have with an iPhone. It's really right. driven by you. So if you're the techie guy that likes the Apple store and you like the genius bar and, and that's your thing, head on in and, and, and get your phone. If you're a guy that just, you know, hey, Best Buy online, send it to me, no problem. Or if you want yeah. to buy it from, from your, your phone service provider, and do it. So that's kind of what we're trying to accomplish here is, you know, we're really going to let the customer decide their buying decision. It's not a one size fits all. Uh, certainly some of our larger customers enjoy working with a distributor because it's a, a one-stop shop for them. Then we've got other customers that are really specific into level measurements and don't have a lot of the other types of measurements and, and they enjoy working us with us directly. So yeah. I, I, one thing I was wondering too, I mean, you're, you're filling a need, so it's not, it's, it's a little different than an iPhone, but, but a brand is a brand. I mean, people, if you can see something and go, okay, I trust that that's going to be good. And now does it work for me? And you sort of jump that first hurdle right, right off the bat. So is there some, is there some benefit though, as a, if you're a distributor, like an iPhone, it's a, it's actually a good example of, that if you're if you're a service provider and you're selling that new iPhone, it attracts a lot of people because they do sell direct. Is there a little bit of that where because now you're you're selling more direct and that brand is even building bigger, that there's there's actually more demand um, even from the distribution level? Does that does that happen, or have you seen it? Absolutely, we've certainly seen it in in Eastern Canada. Uh, Western Canada is a little bit bit of a challenge for me to get a bearing on because of the, everything that's happening with the oil and gas yeah. industry right now. And, uh, you know, our focus was primarily in Eastern Canada to begin with in the first year. So we haven't really put a big effort at, in Western Canada yet. We're just starting, starting with that now. Um, but absolutely, um, you know, people see the brand, they recognize it, and then they ask their distributor about it. And uh, so it's a, it's a pull for the distributor. They, mm -hmm. they definitely see more business with it and the, the distributors that, that work well with us and, you know, we're very easy to do business with. We never, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say never, that's a very rarely do we make them look bad in front of their customers, but if we do, we, we make it right. But uh, we're, we're hyper, hyper responsive, really fast deliveries, you know, about 80% of our products available for uh, complete production in about three to five days. Wow. So, you know, we really have industry leading stuff like that, that, helps the distributor build their name as well with the, the customer because hey they're tied to it as well they've they, they've got some reputation on the line as well when they recommend a vega product to one of their customers this is i just it's a little bit of a funny question and i, I hope i can ask it the, the way i want it's um 
when you going back to the sort of there's this it's such a large scale but there's a there's like a small town feel something mm-hmm. I, I don't i can't really actually explain it with, with what i've seen from the company um but even the way that they do their videos they're very high quality but there's almost a a pleasantness to the videos that they do whereas some it's like they're really trying to be uh you, know, you see some kind of corporate type videos and they're they're trying to show how powerful they are. And I just, I hate those videos so much. I can't <laughs> even explain how much I hate them because it's so obviously contrived. Um, yeah. But it's sort of that feel. Do you, when you go back, when you start working with them, I'm, I'm assuming you have spent some time going back to the Germ- Germany and the headquarters mm-hmm. and that, does that, does that affect you? Do, you? do you find yourself on a professional level, um, sort of sort of taking in their approach and and their sort of culture that they're bringing to the table um essentially when you started eight years ago have you seen yourself evolve you know not just naturally but from being involved in that sort of that feel that they bring yeah yeah you know absolutely it's we i experienced it about eight years ago and we see it quite often with our new hires as well so the people that come in from other organizations tend to tend to bring their experiences with them. And quite often they've worked at companies that in their mission statements, say they value employee contributions and, you know, they want uh, constant input and things like that. But the, and I think the truth is we've all done it in our career somewhere where we uh, stepped out of our comfort zone, put our hand up and said mm-hmm. something and immediately went, Oh boy, I probably shouldn't have said that. And it's been a, that, you know, a bit career limiting or, or caused you some anxiety. My own experience with that was it, it took me probably about, I'll say around a year, maybe a little bit longer at Vega before I've really kind of felt it out and, and felt reassured that, you know, I, I, I'm okay to, to speak what's on my mind here. I'm okay to contribute. Um, and once I, once I started doing that, that, that's when the power of our culture really starts to kind of hit you because problems and barriers and issues they just break down everybody yeah you know my my sales director scott rollman at the time you know said look any criticism you get understand that it comes from a place of caring Mm. it's coming because we want to help you so it's not a retribution it's not a a knock on you it's that i care enough to provide you that feedback to help you be better and when people adopt that that thought process and and they see it and live it and breathe it and eventually become to believe in it. Now we have many individuals contributing at their highest form with their highest input, with all the knowledge that they bring. It, it, you know, I, I'll say to our new hires, look, we we've paid we pay you for what you bring to the table. We pay you for what's up here. If I put a muzzle on you, mm. we're not getting what we paid for. So if you can imagine, you know, you have an organization and you know globally where everybody feels comfortable bringing those types of suggestions or ideas or improvements to the table to the highest levels within vega which we're very very flat organization by the way it just you've got this constant kind of push of innovation this constant kind of push of improvement and it never stops and it's 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 incremental in in most cases it's a step change in some cases but we get that because we have everybody continually thinking and contributing and not being afraid to it's uh it, it's exciting to, to hear it i mean you know i've i've been a member of teams i know what you're talking about that sort of that you you yeah you put something out there or you do something you go oh that was that did not work out and you know when you were thinking when you were talking about that 
it, it reminded me of um, last year we went to uh, we went to watch a Canucks practice, and I I distinctly remember because I'd never seen people at that level pra- just practicing, working on their skills, and and they were and the top five players on the team, they were practicing and doing, and they were barking commands at each other. Not barking. That's actually not the right word. But they they kept they would they'd say, oh, go here and do this, and there wasn't even there wasn't even a hint of hesitation. It was just because you could tell the goal and it wasn't surprising me when they made that little playoff run, because I saw in the practice, those top players, there was just no, there wasn't even a hint of, Oh, why are you telling me to do that? You're a Ford and you're telling me to move over here. There just, it wasn't that. And I, and I, when you were talking, when you were saying that I, it reminded me of that practice that just that, that, eh, that whole culture of, if I'm telling you something, but of course you got to tell it in a certain way. That's why I said <laughs> yeah. barking is not the right word. But when you're, yeah. when I, when I'm saying something, it's because I'm trying to get it to be better. And it just, there's that response there. Uh, I, and it, it, I think it must show confidence as a company that this company really does have a good product. They don't need to hide behind anything. Um, mm-hmm. They, they do have good distribution models. They, they do have a good leadership team. It really reflects to me, it reflects confidence that a company can actually have that open dialogue. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. And I think confidence is a, is a good word. You know, we're, we're not the biggest instrumentation company out there by a stretch, but we're very confident in our abilities. We're very confident in our people. And, you know, much like, a, you know, I regrettably called a Canucks a high-performance team, but... Uh, <laughs> I was purposely you know. setting up that. I, I figured you weren't a Canucks fan. So. <laughs> but, uh, you know, any sort of high-performance team, they, they have that ability to communicate open and honestly. Mm-hmm. But they also they also have that ability to forgive. And, and yeah. you know, I, I, I paint a pretty picture here on this. It's not always pretty. I mean, it's always civilized, but it, it does get hard and it does get tough. And you do wind up at these impasses, you know, both internally and externally. Like, how do we get through this? And, it, you know, it gets a little rugged sometimes, but we, we have that confidence to keep contributing and afterwards kind of look at each other and say, wow, that, that was tough. You're, you know, we're good. Yeah, we're good. Okay, let's keep going. So yeah, that ability to forgive each other comes from a place of strength as well. It's, it's funny that the word forgive has never been on, on, I've never heard that word used on this show, not once. And it is a word that should be part of company's dialogue. It's actually a very powerful word because you're absolutely right. When you're in the heat of things, stuff happens. And there is that, you know, there's one thing to say sorry. And you see all these things like written on the wall about, about being positive and stuff like that. But yeah. that's, being positive is when things are going well. And when you're in the trenches, sometimes you, you have, yeah, you have to be able to look and say, okay, maybe that person didn't even apologize, but I need to move past it because we've got a goal here. And, you know, they were under pressure and all that sort of thing. And I, I think, um, of course, it's the tail end of the interview. So you don't know if, uh, <laughs> you don't know if everybody's still watching, but for people that do, I think it's a very powerful thing to bring into a workplace is, is that, uh, that ability that you never hear the, the word to actually forgive people because you spend a lot of time with the people you work with. It's a very, you're, you're right there sometimes more than with your own family at times. So it's, it's yeah. a powerful word uh, to have within a company. Yeah. You know, too often I see, you know, obviously we want entrepreneurial people. We want people that take chances and feel comfortable talking about taking risks, but that's the only side of it that we talk about. Mm. And, and, 
without the forgiveness side, without the, hey, you made a mistake, it's all good side of things, this other, it's, it's sort of an empty mantra almost. Like just yeah. go take chances. Oh, that didn't work out well. You're really in for it now. Yeah. You know, you, you uh, really inhibit uh, people's confidence again to, to go out and, and, and be entrepreneurial, to be creative, to put things forward. So yeah, that's that forgive part. It's the other side of the equation. You, you can't really, I think, have one without the other. Yeah. And then that direct line of communication so that people actually know where they stand and, you know, they know how they can be better. They know where the opportunities are. And I mean, it just, it's power. I mean, it, it's, it's insanely powerful and it is, yeah, like you said, it's a conversation. It doesn't look as good on a wall. That, that really <laughs> is all that, that it is. It just doesn't look yeah. as good on a wall. So but yet it's the other side that is so important. And if a company is feeding into that, I mean, you can, I mean, you end up with Vega, 80 countries yeah. <laughs> and be able to have distribution and direct and sensors all over the world and in all different markets. That is part of the end result. It's very powerful. Yeah. Um, Mark, uh, thank, thank you for joining the show. Um, you know, I wish I wish I could ask more technical questions on the product, um, but it's, it was sort of like a little <laughs> mini education here. So uh, I hope I get you back on or, or feature Vega again and sort of maybe look at some of these uh, particular scenarios where the sensors are in and how it gets, you know, you know, how the things are getting set up and the sacrifices, you know, those three levels that you talked about. I would like to unpack a little bit more. And I'd probably need to be walked through it a bit before I could actually do that properly. But it's a fascinating, um, it's a fascinating sector that you serve. Oh, well, thank you. And we, yeah, we'd love the opportunity to get a little bit more technical, but uh, you know, be, I, I enjoyed today's discussion. It was a, it was a refreshing change from just a, speaking about technology and then the, uh, the widget side of things and uh, speaking quite a bit more to the, the why and the how Vega, Vega exists and, and forms relationships with their customers. So I, I enjoyed that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, okay. Um, Gaudi. Yes. That was, <laughs> man, we've been having so, some fun interviews lately. We have. 2021 yes. is I, I'm saying this as I feel like if someone's watching and their business is struggling, I feel bad. 2021 has been very good to us. <laughs> it has been very good to us. I'm it very, has, very yeah. thankful. We so have just, far, yes. well, people, we just, yeah, people that want to, want to talk. Um, yeah. We have companies that are open. I remember in the beginning, there was a lot of, there was a lot of checks and balances and maybe people are starting to trust. They know that I'm not going to ask anything too crazy. Yeah. I think <laughs> that was the bigger is. thing. It's uh, afraid of, of jumping on and, and not knowing you yeah. know what your agenda is <laughs> we want to know your secrets um we don't <laughs> yep it's a hurdle <laughs> <laughs> oh i know there was some discussion off before joining the show yeah. Uh, uh, yeah no thanks a lot mark we really do appreciate it um gaudi where can people uh where can people watch follow comment and recommend guests we've been having some great people that are connecting um yeah and and putting guests on the show even companies like they're doing consulting work for and they're recommending it's just so much fun absolutely um where can people follow like comment or insult Everything. direct communication yeah <laughs> I mean, we can always do better right yeah. um uh definitely subscribe to our youtube channel we've got uh, what two episodes a week on there um you can contact us uh, through LinkedIn or Facebook, just follow mm -hmm. us at Crownsman P. 
um, also, if, you know, if you want to contact us directly um, to be a, a guest or recommend someone to be a guest, uh, email us info at crownsman.com or check out our website, crownsman.com. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of good to go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody, for watching. We love doing the show. It just seems to be getting more and more fun as we learn about more and more companies. It's just amazing. Thank you for your support because uh, without you watching, we wouldn't be doing it. So thank you very much. We appreciate it. And we'll see you on the next episode of The Crownsman Show. <laughs> <laughs>